This sermon was recorded at Highway San Jose in San Jose, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. Well, happy Palm Sunday, everybody. I want you to know that you are all my dear fronds. Thank you. Thank you so much. Today, that was for Dean. Is Dean in here? I don't think he's in here, but that's a Dean joke, I think. Um, So today's the day the church celebrates Christ's entry into Jerusalem in the gospel story and ushers in Easter week or Holy Week as we approach, you know, the final few days before Easter. It's an exciting week. It's one of our favorite weeks here at Highway, to be honest. One of the busiest, too, but we love it. But we're nearing the end of our series uh, called Welcoming Life, which is a study in the book of John. And... um, we're looking tonight at another resurrection story, the story of Lazarus. And this is the last of the signs and miracles in the book of John before the passion story, the story of Jesus' journey to the cross. It's, a, it's actually a great story for us to look at as we enter Holy Week together. So let's, let's check it out. Now, it's a long passage of Scripture, so, but there's a lot of good stuff in it, so we'll, we'll kind of cut into the middle here. So, so the scene is this. Jesus receives word that Lazarus, who was a good friend of his, is ill, and he tells those close to him, the disciples, this sickness will not end in death. And that's an important phrase, and we'll, we'll come back to that. This sickness will not end in death. But after this, Jesus waits two days to travel to see Lazarus. Now, in the big moments of our lives, timing is important, right? I remember my wedding day, um, the guys, the men in the wedding party got together at my sister's house to get ready and, and hang out and swim and stuff like that. And, you know, for men, a lot of times, the wedding day is sort of like this last grasp of masculinity. It's like, we're going to golf and we're going to hang out and we're not going to see any women until the ceremony, you know. And so that's basically what we did. Some of you were there, actually. So we're hanging out in the afternoon. It's getting close to the time, right? And we're hanging out in the pool at my sister's house, you know, and my, my best man, Mike, kind of swims over to me, and it's like, you know, Kev, we might want to think about, you know, getting up to the house, getting ready. It's, it's about that time. It's like, yeah, you know, this is so nice, and we're all, just a couple minutes, okay. So we're all floating there, you know, and then Mike kind of swims over again. It's like, you know, really, Kevin, we might want to think about getting ready now because you're getting married, and please, let's, please, let's go and get out of here. Right, 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 let's just... Let's just hang out a little bit longer. You know, and as, the, as the minutes wore on, it became, you know, Kevin, get out of the pool. We're going to get ready. You're going to get married. I'm not going to be late, you know. He was, a good, he was a good best man because he was looking out for me. But timing is important, and timing is important, especially in those big moments in our lives, you know. This is a big moment for Mary and Martha and for Lazarus, interestingly enough. So why does Jesus wait? Well, we'll come back to that as well, but after two days, he tells the disciples, "We've got to go see Lazarus. He's fallen asleep." And they say, "Well, if he's fallen asleep, he's going to wake up. So why don't we stay here? Because the last time we went to Judea, they tried to kill you. They tried to kill us. Let's just stay where we are." But Jesus clarifies that Lazarus is in fact dead, and they get set to leave. So that brings us to chapter eleven, verse twenty-one, and we'll cut into the story here. Jesus sees Martha. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, "If you had been here." My brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother 
will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you were the Messiah, the Son of God, who was to come, and come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Pray with me as we let that sink in. God, we thank you for this story. We thank you that you are the resurrection and you are the life and you're the source of life. God, help us to, uh, to claim that. Help us to unlock the truth in this story for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So when Jesus finally does reach Bethany, the plot thickens, right? This is one of those moments in scripture where the characters are brought face to face with the elemental, right? Life and death. You know, in this series in the book of John that we're in, we called it Welcoming Life because we wanted to explore all the ways the characters in these stories welcomed Jesus in to their stories, or didn't in some cases, and how that welcomed life, true life, into their story. Hence, Welcoming Life. So this story is fascinating because Mary and Martha welcomed Jesus into the story of their grieving family. And it's not the rated PG version, right? It's the raw, natural emotion of the moment. They welcome him in, and he walks with them into this time of sadness. So there's this change in Jesus' reaction to the whole scene here. It's not a subtle change either. If we back up at the narrative to before they leave, Jesus is confident. He tells them the sickness will not end in death. And then in verse 14, he tells them, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So this is a very confident Jesus talking, cavalier even. Granted, he's, he's God in human form, he knows how the story's going to end, so he has a right to be confident, and even glib in the situation, really. But yet, when he goes to Judea, and he sees the spectacle, and he sees the sadness, his countenance changes. And then... We have the shortest verse in the whole of scripture, yet probably the most intriguing. Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. 35. So what changed? What changed in Jesus? Before the journey, he was sure of the timing of the, of the thing. He was direct in his approach with the disciples. And then when he arrives and sees everything, he's overcome. So in Judea, during this time period, it was, it was normal for even, even poor families could hire a couple of musicians and a professional wailer, a professional mourner that would sort of make their grief public in the community. And uh, if that sounds kind of strange, it's actually not that different from what we do when there's been a death. You know, although it's a sad time, it's beautiful to see 
the community of faith surround a family when there's been a death and serve them, bring meals, bring comfort, you know. And, you know, I've sung at my share of memorial services, and it's usually at that moment and shortly after that that everything becomes real and the death really becomes real and sinks in and the the idea that things are not going to be the same is really real for everyone. So the family of Mary and Martha um, were not poor, so they, they might have had a whole cavalcade of people, mourners, musicians, and this whole host of people that were on display in the community. And it could be that Jesus saw all this activity and kind of the official business of death, as it were, and it became real for him. It's almost as if before he leaves to go see Lazarus, he's showing his deity. He knows everything, he's calm, he's collected, and then when he arrives and sees the grief of his friends, he shows his humanity. It's when he sees his friends in pain, and sees the throng of people that are also mourning, that's when he succumbs. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. And then he weeps. So here's a question then. With this story in view, how do you think Jesus reacts to our pain, to our suffering? You know, we hear all the time about how God can help us and God is there and God understands and we suffer for a reason. And, you know, a lot of times that kind of talk is frankly more hurt than help in times when we're really grieving and really hurting. But here, Jesus models true care and genuine concern. He doesn't walk into this situation in Bethany and, and kind of go, okay, everybody, just calm down, calm down. Don't worry about it. There's nothing to be sad about. You know, in a few minutes, we're all going to be partying. Trust me, I know it sounds weird, but he doesn't do that. He, he accepts what's going on. He accepts the emotion of his friends. He's present He listens, he communicates, he receives grief, he absorbs the situation, and he's affected. And this is a great model, actually, for how we should walk with each other when we're grieving. I'd like to show a clip from the film Selma. Um, And in this clip, the, the, the backstory of this clip is this. It was the death of a young man named Jimmy Lee Jackson, at the hands of an Alabama state trooper in 1965 that served as the catalyst for the historic Freedom March from Selma to Montgomery. And in this scene, you'll see Dr. Martin Luther King visit the grandfather of Jimmy Lee Jackson, who's just died. And it's a very difficult moment in the story. And as you watch this unfold, watch how Dr. King grieves with Mr. Lee. Here's the clip from Selma. Soothe you, Mr. Lee. 
can tell you one thing for certain. God was the first to cry. He was the first to cry for your boy. Yes, I believe that. Is your daughter, is Jimmy Lee's mother here yesterday? Uh, no, she, she, she couldn't make it. May I ask your age, son? Well, I, I got 82 years. 1883. Right. Yeah, Jimmy. He, he born in 38 years. He an army man. I mean, what was an army man? An army spell. He said, Pa, you gonna vote for you done. Mm -hmm. That's what he said. God was the first to cry. It's a very moving scene, obviously. But did you notice how Dr. King grieves with Mr. Lee? You know, MLK, of all people, could have walked into that situation and said, you know, he could have talked about the civil rights movement and how he and now the dead young man were at the epicenter of this shift in ideologies and his, his death was had meaning and purpose and, and the fight would continue, but he doesn't do that. He just sits with Mr. Lee and is sad with him. I have no words to soothe you. God was the first to cry for your boy. I believe that's true of all our tragedies, actually. Jesus wept, he feels it. He grieves with us. But we're in a culture of fixers, right? Not fixies, we're also in a culture of fixies. But we're a culture of fixers. We like to fix things. Something goes wrong, we want to deal with it. We want an answer, we want to get out of it. We want, we want it to be over, frankly. It happens in public life all the time, right? Something, something happens, there has to be a scapegoat, you know, within the week there has to be a new cycle and resolution and some kind of punishment, you know, but life doesn't really unfold that way, does it? Um, you know, I'm, I'm guilty in my own life of, you know, being hurting and just trying to run out of it. You know, we all do that. And even when I talk to people who are hurting and, and in sadness, you know, it's, I'm, I'm having to fight that urge to, to say, okay, what, what can I do right now to ease this a little bit? What can I do to, to change this, uh, to take some of the pain away? What are the resources that we know that we can go to and, and just sort of ease this? You know, and those are noble questions, you know. They're worthy questions, you know, 
But sometimes welcoming life means welcoming real life, and real life hurts, and sometimes that's all it does, you know. Many years ago, a kid named Paul Ruel came to Highway. A lot of you remember Paul. I think he came to Highway when he was in high school, and um, he was with us, and then in his 20s, he was diagnosed with leukemia, and we lost Paul shortly after that. And um, Paul, was, uh, Paul was a one-off man. I mean, there was nobody, nobody quite like Paul, and I haven't met anyone since who was like Paul. And Highway had the privilege of, of surrounding the family and, and, and mourning with them and grieving with them. And uh, his mother asked if I would make a, a slideshow, edit a video for the, for the memorial. And I said, of course I would. And I've done a few of these, and they're never, they're never easy to do, but his mother came and dropped off some photos for the video and, and left. And as I started going through the photos, and especially the photos of Paul as a young boy, I just closed the door of my office and cried for a while, for almost an hour. Just the sadness of what had happened and seeing this little boy in these photos and then just thinking, that's it, he's gone. I just needed to sit in the sadness for a while. And I didn't need anybody to tell me, Paul's in a better place, Paul lived a good life. I knew that, I just needed to sit in the sadness. And sometimes, that is what we need. This is a quote from the great Henry Nouwen. The Highway San Jose staff are great fans of Nouwen. I'm sure you've picked up on that by now. But he says this. Our life is a short time in expectation. A time in which sadness and joy kiss each other at every moment. There is a quality of sadness that pervades all the moments of our life. It seems that there is no such thing as clear-cut pure joy. But that even in the most happy moments of our existence, we sense a tinge of sadness. In every satisfaction, there is an awareness of its limitations. In every success, there is the fear of jealousy. Behind every smile, there is a tear. In every embrace, there is loneliness. In every friendship, distance. And in all forms of light, there is the knowledge of surrounding darkness. It's a very heavy quote, and you might be sitting there thinking, okay, this guy is bumming me out right now, okay? <laughs> But I actually don't think it's a bummer. This is a broken world that we inhabit. And I think the description here, Nouwen is describing something that we all feel. We're sort of caught in this middle ground between pain and pleasure. Last weekend, my wife and I had the good fortune to go to wine country for the weekend. And even though it rained literally the entire time we were there, it was a, it was a wonderful weekend. And you know, we're sitting there in this pastoral environment with the vineyards and the and just relaxed and chilled out. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, we got to go home. We have to go home. I don't want to go home, you know. We're in, we're in this middle ground between light and shade, between joy and pain. And Jesus understands that. He understands our pain. That's on display in this narrative. He's not some detached, omniscient thing out there who doesn't understand the feelings of Mary and Martha. He's there on the ground with them. He gets involved in the affairs of men. He walks with us. And as we'll see this week, he walks all the way up the hill to Calvary in order to be with us.
So let's go back to the timing of the story. Why does Jesus arrive when he does? It seems to most in the story that Jesus is too late. Lazarus has been dead for four days, and Martha even says to him, if you had been here sooner, things might be different. Have you ever thought that in your own life? God, what are we waiting for here? I know I have. Um, when I met Kimmy and we started dating, and we, it became clear pretty quickly that we wanted to get married. And back then we talked a lot about the timing of that. Why was it happening when it was? You know, we'd both come out of relatively long, relatively difficult relationships, and we spent a lot of time thinking, what was the point of that? Why did we, why did we go through that? You know? And in my case, I can say the reason was probably immaturity and poor decision-making. But we asked this question, you know, what, what was the point of all that? And, and the answer we came up with was, I don't know. You know, there was something about what we went through that made us into the people that we, that we needed to become, and then, and then this happened, you know. Timing is difficult for us to understand. Lazarus has not only died, but the corpse is rotting. I love the way the King James Bible translates this. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. There are areas in our lives that stinketh, right? I mean, it could be waiting on love and relationships or loneliness or career stuff, unfulfilled dreams, family stuff, depression. You know, there's areas in our lives that are stagnant and lifeless and we, and we lose heart and we think there's no way that God or, or anyone for that matter could revive this rotting thing, right? And yet, we see here at the 11th hour, Jesus comes in and he brings healing. And I hate to say it, but many of us feel this. Christ often visits us in the 11th hour at the last possible moment. And the reason for that is, I don't know what the reason for that is, but it's borne out here in the story. We see that same principle playing out. Christ coming even when the body is entombed and rotting. When we welcome Jesus into our suffering, we welcome life because we welcome the true version of life, the true version of ourselves, the, the hurting version of ourselves. And we're willing to allow God into that and work with us and work on us. John R. found a great quote this week that says this, the Lord never seems to get there when you want him to, but when he arrives, he's always right on time. How true that is, actually. And I'm not sure why that is. It's one of the, it's one of the mysteries of our faith, I think. But when Jesus arrives, as we see in the story, he brings life. Let's cut back to the story in verse 41. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. If there's a lesson here from Mary and Martha, I think it's this. Welcoming Jesus means welcoming him 
into the full experience of our lives, the pain, the passion, the questioning even, the grieving, to welcome Jesus into our lives, to truly welcome him into our true lives, even the spaces where loss and grieving gnaw at us, that's to truly welcome life and to truly welcome a relationship with him. Well, how do we do that? To welcome him means, I think, firstly, an honest dialogue with Christ. We see that in this story, right? They ask hard questions of him. Where were you? Where were you when we needed you? You know, We should be honest and open with Christ as well. He's God, after all, he can take it. Patience. God's timing is not human time, but it's right on time. And then a willingness to expect the unexpected. Nobody thought that Jesus was going to show up and bring Lazarus back to life. They thought he was too late. But he did bring life. He didn't come when he was expected. And when he did arrive, he did the unexpected. He brought life. Speaking of the unexpected, we're going to close and consider the Palm Sunday story. If the band will join me on stage. When Christ entered Jerusalem the people must have thought, this is it. We're saved. Roman oppression is over. Roman rule is over. Our years of wondering and wandering are over. Messiah is here. Messiah has come. Well, they were right about that. Messiah had come. But the way that he came and what he did that week was unexpected. By the end of the week, he was dead. And yet, The sickness will not end in death. I love that phrase. The brokenness of our lives, the state of the world, and that pleasure and pain principle that now describes that we all feel subject to, it doesn't get the final word. As we enter Holy Week together, we come out of this story of loss and mourning and resurrection. Let's consider that as we walk through Easter together. Look at everything that Christ did for us to save us to ensure that he could empathize with us and walk with us. You know, the passion story is one of deep sadness and deep loneliness and incredible darkness, you know. And, you know, we gather this Friday at the Stations of the Cross to really get inside that and to really be moved by that. And I think think it's essential. I hope you guys will join us there. Um, And then coming out of that into the exaltation that comes on Easter... Oh, baby. It's really great. There's nothing like it. So let's celebrate the entry of Christ into Jerusalem. Let's celebrate his unexpected entry into our lives and our entry into Easter week. And let's celebrate the unusual way he saved us by being a servant and a sacrifice. And let's be thankful that because he went through all that, he empathizes with us like he does in this story. And let's celebrate the amazing grace that comes as a result of that partnership.